Your attention, please. One show for you to see. One for you and everyone. Ah, ah. Hey, Buster. Don't look now, but that earthling you're with is really an alien in disguise. Don't take my squash away from me. Welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I'm your host, Lou Mangiello, and thank you for tuning in once again. This is show number 37 for the week of October 21st, 2007. This week's show is going to begin, as always, with a lot of news from around Walt Disney World before we head on over to the Walt Disney World Rumor Mill, where there's a lot of very interesting and major rumors to discuss, including updates on Spaceship Earth, Space Mountain, Imagination, the FastPass system, two Future World pavilions, and rumored new attractions based on The Little Mermaid and Cars. We take another trip aboard my Walt Disney World Wayback Machine, as Jeff and I explore another extinct attraction from the Magic Kingdom. This week, it's all about flying, because we explore the history, trivia, and complete journey aboard If You Had Wings. We'll also look at its replacements, including Delta's Dream Flight and more. It's a lot of fun, and will likely bring back some old memories. The next Walt Disney World Half Marathon Challenge Contest starts this week, and the questions and clues are brought to you by Jonathan Dichter, who asks you to identify the voices behind the magic. In addition to being able to win some great prizes, remember that this contest is to help raise money for the DisneyWorldTrivia.com Dream Team Project to help benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. As part of my continuing efforts to help you with your vacation planning, I'll show you how you can save money on tickets to Walt Disney World, as I pose many of your frequently asked questions to an official and authorized Walt Disney World discount ticket provider. I'll have time for just a few of your emails before I play some of your voicemails at the end of the show, so as always, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. In this week's news from Walt Disney World, the Florida Department of Environmental Protection recently welcomed the contemporary Old Key West and Saratoga Springs resorts to the Florida Green Lodging Program. These are the 34th through 36th to be designated in the Green Lodging Program, which is a voluntary state initiative that provides the lodging industry with technical assistance, encouraging hotels and motels to adopt cost-saving green practices that reduce waste and conserve natural resources. From the very beginning, Walt Disney World has always been concerned with the environment, so it's great to see that continuing as three more of their resorts receive this important designation. Super Soap Weekend is returning to the Disney MGM Studios. The View's new co-host, Sherry Shepard, is going to join Susan Lucci from All My Children and more than 30 other ABC daytime stars for the 12th annual event from November 10th through the 11th over at Disney's MGM Studios. Other event activities include celebrity motorcades, autograph sessions, talk shows, interviews, as well as the chance to purchase one-of-a-kind memorabilia from each of the shows. The Colgate Total Street Jam is going to close the event every day with live musical performances by your favorite daytime stars. 
Throughout the weekend, fans are also going to have the chance to meet favorite stars from All My Children, One Life to Live, General Hospital, and General Hospital Night Shift in autograph sessions. For updates and more information about ABC's Super Soap Weekend, you can call the Super Soap Hotline at 407-397-6808 or check online at abcdaytime.com. Downtown Disney is becoming the home once again for more than 150 artists to display their original creations during the 32nd annual Festival of the Masters presented by Sharpie from November 9th through the 11th at Walt Disney World. Sculpture, jewelry, painting, photography, glass, and digital art are going to be just some of the genres showcased at the Judged Art Show, which is annually ranked among the country's best outdoor art festivals. The Fine Arts Awards Ceremony is going to take place Saturday at 3 p.m. on the stage near the Virgin Megastore. This year's event will also feature street painters from the Central Florida Chalk Artists Association, as well as live music, face painting, and interactive zones for kids. The ninth annual Where the Art Meets the Soul Folk Art Festival is going to be over at the House of Blues at Downtown Disney's West Side. The festival goes every day from 9.30 to 5.30, and admission is free. For more information about the Festival of the Masters, you can go to DisneyWorld.com slash Art Festival or call 407-824-4321. And of course, I'll put these links up in the show notes as well. Speaking of art, if you're a fan of Walt Disney World and the works of the world-renowned painter of light, Thomas Kincaid, he has created a new work of art commissioned by Walt Disney World entitled A New Day at Cinderella Castle, featuring his signature luminous lighting on Walt Disney World's park icon. It's the first Kincaid painting to feature the castle and is available at the Art of Disney locations throughout the Walt Disney World Resort. And while that might make a great Christmas gift, what could be more exciting than opening presents on Christmas morning? Well, what about this? What if you got a call from Mickey Mouse announcing the ultimate gift, which is a 2008 Walt Disney World vacation? Between November 23rd and December 23rd, if you book a select vacation to Walt Disney World, you can sign up to receive a very special call from Mickey Mouse on Christmas Day and surprise your family with the great news. Vacation rates during this time, including theme park tickets, start as low as $58 per person per day. For more information, you can contact Walt Disney World by going to DisneyWorld.com or by contacting your travel agent. And while you're there, you want to go off-road at Walt Disney World? You want to go off-road on a Segway? Well, now you can, as there's a new off-road Segway experience over at the Fort Wilderness Resort and Campground, taking you along backwoods trails aboard the Segway X2 personal transporter. These Segways are specially outfitted with deeply treaded tires, as well as higher ground clearance than the other Segway models, to give you a smooth and very stable ride through the trails. The two-hour Wilderness Back Trail Adventure starts with a training session, which is about the X2. It's offered twice a day on Tuesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays for $85. And you must be 16 years of age or older in order to participate. Reservations can be made up to 90 days in advance by calling 407-WDW-TOUR. And if you are going to Walt Disney World during the holidays, and Mickey does give you that call letting you know, there are two special events, as always, that are going to be taking place. The first is the Osborne Family Spectacle of Lights, which is presented by Sylvania. That's going to light up the Streets of America backlot over at the Disney MGM Studios from November 12th through January 6th, 2008. You can also catch the Hollywood Holiday Parade and see your favorite Disney characters dressed in their holiday best. And during the holidays, don't forget about what's going on over at Disney's Animal Kingdom, where you can celebrate safari style with Mickey, Minnie, and their pals in the Mickey's Jingle Jungle Parade. That's also from November 12th through January 6th, 2008, 
Also this year, over at Camp Mini Mickey, guests can meet Disney characters dressed for the holidays as well as enjoy carolers singing traditional holiday songs over at Santa Goofy's Holiday Village. If you have any news you want to share, you can always email me at lou at wdwradio.com. You can also discuss anything you've heard in this section at the forums over at disneyworldtrivia.com. There's a lot of great information coming out of the Walt Disney World rumor mill this week. First, over in Epcot, the rumored rehab of the second floor of the Imagination Pavilion is possibly nothing more than just a rumor. It was originally rumored that the old Image Works was being torn down and it was going to be replaced by something else. It was used last year for the test for the Kim Possible Adventure, but currently there appears to be no plans on the table to do anything as was originally rumored. Staying in Epcot, from what I'm hearing, the Spaceship Earth Rehab with the rumored interactive portion will not be like what you had over in Horizons, where you could choose your own adventure at the end of the ride. This interactivity, from what I'm told, is being quote-unquote different from what you had in Horizon. Currently, I'm also hearing that the refurb is one month behind schedule. Now, again, that confirms rumors that I've heard in the past, although that very well may change. It would not necessarily delay the opening because they may be able to catch up as they get closer to the, to the speculated opening after the refurb. And speaking of other rumored refurbishments, we've talked at length about the rumored Space Mountain refurbishment, as well as had some sort of confirmation from Imagineer George McGinnis, who talked about that during our interview a couple of months ago. What I'm understanding now is that the planned rehab will take place next year, but it will not be as extensive as what took place over in Disneyland. According to the Magic Kingdom management, they don't want the attraction down for as long of a period of time as was originally rumored, which could be up to a year or so. What I'm understanding now is that we might get something along the lines of a Haunted Mansion type refurb, where we'll get new lighting, new effects, some things in the queue as well as in the load unload area. I have heard rumors of dates that range from June 2008 to April or May of 2009, but I really don't know if it's going to be down for that long based on the recent information that I've received. We've talked in the past about the use of handheld electronic devices in the parks to play interactive games with the environment and attractions. I was never really a big proponent of this as I didn't really want to see children especially walking around staring at the screens instead of enjoying all that Walt Disney World has to offer. However... I'm excited about something else that I'm hearing that may be coming out from Imagineering, because they are supposedly proceeding with the development, research, and testing of a new Nintendo DS cartridge that's going to utilize Wi-Fi and also give you an interactive map of the parks. It's going to let you plot your directions to the different destinations, possibly update the wait times automatically for all the different attractions. There are no rollout dates for testing this currently planned, but obviously as I hear more, I will cover this on the show. And here's some big news that I heard about the recent FastPass patents and rumors about hierarchical structures and different types of method for obtaining FastPasses in the parks. For example, some of the rumors is that the type of FastPass that you get may be linked to what resort you're staying at or how much you're spending or a variety of different factors that might play into what will really amount to be a hierarchical system, giving some people preferred FastPasses over others. 
From what I am being told, the patents that Disney filed were for legal protection of the concepts and ideas and some of the technologies only and are not being planned to be rolled out anytime in the near future in Walt Disney World or any of the other theme parks. What I do understand is that Disney obviously pays attention to what goes on, what guest reaction or response is, even if it's not at the parks, but I'm talking about online as well. Disney does not want to do some sort of implementation like this that might create this type of a system and something that guests might not enjoy until they really work something out that they may want to try out instead. So for now, the patents themselves are only for protection and not for any sort of immediate plans for rolling out in the parks. Now, based on that information, I would expect the FastPass system not to change in the future. However, we may see some sort of testing of different systems. Uh, obviously, there's a new PAR code system that's recently been implemented. So we may see some testing of some new things, but not what's been rumored previously about this hierarchical system. The last part of our rumor mill discussion this week is not necessarily related to Walt Disney World, but with Disney announcing that they're putting more than $1 billion into Disney's California adventure, including things like Cars Land and A Little Mermaid Attraction, Playhouse Disney, Toy Story Mania, and really changing the entire look and makeup of the park to almost reflect the look and feel of Disney's Hollywood Studios with that old-time Hollywood Rumors are really starting to swirl about what may or may not be coming to Walt Disney World, uh, especially in light of recent rumors about other Pixar attractions and the removal and demolition of the Backlot Tour, etc. So what I wanted to do is bring in Jeff Pepper to comment on some of these rumors as we talk about them, because Jeff has posted some interesting things over in his blog, and I wanted to just get his opinion on some of the things we're going to talk about. Hey, Lou. How's it going? Good. Good. And Jeff, let's talk specifically about some of the things that, that are coming to Disney's California Adventure and how they tie into Walt Disney World. And one of the big things is Carland, Cars Land, which is coming to California Adventure. Um, there's going to be a number of character-themed attractions. I think it's going to be on a 12-acre site. I mean, so you're not talking about a small parcel of land. There's going to be uh, Radiator Springs Racers. There's going to be, um, like your post said, something from Luigi's Tire Store. And there's been a lot of rumors about either a cars theme attraction coming to Orlando or the Tomorrowland Indy Speedway being rethemed for cars, um, possibly with the rumors of the demolition of the Backlot Tour, something like that coming to that area. What do you think about Cars Land, you know, specifically in Walt Disney World? Yeah, it's 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 what really is one of the things that really sent everybody to talking this past week. I mean, Disney announced this uh, earlier uh, last week, and it was a big announcement, very big announcement. Uh, it's it was basically just this whole retheming kind of of California Adventure to the point where there's even scuttlebutt that they might change the name. And Cars Land was one of the big focal points, and. The interesting thing about it is Cars Land, the way it's going to be conceptualized, the way it's being conceptualized for California Adventure, ties very distinctly into their California theme. Um, they're going for the whole Route 66 kind of theming, uh, tying into the Radiator Spring setting of the movie. So it is distinctly themed to California Adventure. And I kind of put some feelers out to some folks to say, you know, just... Really, do you think there is a chance that this would be transplanted to, you know, like you said, logically, logically, Disney MGM Studios 
seems to be the logical place for it because we've been hearing so much about Pixar Place and the Pixar expansion in the studios and how it's going to expand beyond just Toy Story Mania. And Toy Story Mania, again, being something that's also going into California Adventure. So that's where all the speculation ran. Uh, a couple of the people I talked to you know, seem to think that though they, they're not going to want to do an exact clone of Cars Land per se. So the very specific attractions you mentioned, the one being Radiator Springs Racers, um, very interesting because the concept art on that, I uh, saw a different, couple of different pieces of concept art on it, looks very much kind of modeled on the test track technology. It's, it's going to be high speed, and even the vehicles bear some degree of resemblance um, in the artwork to the test track vehicles. I think they're, they have similar uh, six-seaters. Um, just the design seems very rooted in that, so that'll be kind of curious to see how it pans out. But yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting where it's going to go because Cars is such a huge, huge property now for Disney. Um, it's like their number one breadwinner right now in consumer products. Uh, it's consumer products, you know, merchandising has made more money than the actual movie itself. So there has to be some presence down the line in Walt Disney World for this. So it just might not be exactly a duplicate of uh, what's going to be in DCA. And it's funny that you mentioned that because Cars has often been criticized by a number of people who say, you know, the the, the movie didn't do well and it tanked and it was awful and it, and it was a disappointment. However, merchandise-wise, it does so well. Um, it, it's pretty well known at this point that there's probably a Cars 2 movie that's coming out um, in the next couple of years. I have a, a reliable source that tells me Cars Land, in some form or fashion, is coming to Orlando. Um, the source wouldn't say which park is going to get what. Uh, so, you know, we start thinking about the demolition of the Backlot Tour, putting something in an area like that. That might necessarily uh, be the case. What we are looking at is 2010 or later, at the very least, for, for something like that to happen. The other big rumor is obviously about the Little Mermaid, you know, especially when the Little Mermaid special edition DVD came out and there was that virtual ride through of the attraction that Tony Baxter had conceptualized. I mean, people lost their minds because it was just such a beautiful attraction. And while that may not be what they get out in DCA um, to a certain degree, I mean, that's something people are excited about. And I know, you know, the, the, the rumors are starting to swirl not from me, this is not coming from me, that, you know, we're going to get it, it's going to go into Ariel's Grotto, they're going to get remove Pooh's Playful Spot, that's going to be a big Little Mermaid area. Yeah, the funny thing about the whole Little Mermaid um, attraction is that if you go back in time, if you go back to the early 90s, if you sift through the various um, stock reports, annual reports, things like that, that particular attraction was like announced everywhere. <laughs> I mean, it literally had incarnations at various times being announced for uh, Paris, for Disneyland, you know, the one, you know, obviously for Disney World. It was just announced everywhere. So, the, you know, it's kind of ironic that the one place it's now officially going into is the one park that never existed when it was initially conceptualized. So it, in, in seeing some of the concept art there, there are some similarities to, to the, the version that they... Um, featured on the DVD, but it's going to be uh, certainly much more sophisticated because that you know that was developed you know over well over a decade ago, and again you know it's logical that it would go in the Magic Kingdom right next to Ariel's Grotto. It's a perfect fit for Fantasyland, but yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that that pans out. And again, you know, is it is it a done deal? You know, it's it's hard to say. Uh, one of the things we keep hearing about a lot of the DCA stuff is 
that they don't want to put just clone attractions anymore. They want the attractions to be very, very unique to the parks they're in, and they don't want to just kind of farm out like they, they have in the past. So it'll be interesting on that one as well. Well, you know, to use just the, the term clone, clone, quote-unquote, attractions are easy because the R&D has been done. It's very easy to kind of transplant them in another park. I think specifically, though, with DCA, and again, this is total speculation on my part, I don't think that we're going to see copies of attractions like Little Mermaid specifically and things like Finding Nemo Submarine Voyage because these are going to be the draws for the quote-unquote new DCA. And Disney's belief is probably going to be, if you want to see it, if you want to experience these attractions, you need to come here and you just stay here. You need to stay here for a long weekend because now you've got two full-blown parks to spend time in, to spend money in, uh, and to play in. And if we if we give these to you in Florida, you've now lost that incentive to come out and vacation in Disneyland. And getting the, the Florida people to California, I, I think, has always been kind of a tough sell now with attractions like these, people, things people really want to see, that might be enough to put people like myself, you know, over the top and say, I, I need to go out and see these things. And I think that's 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 dead on. And I think the irony is that what we've been talking about also is that what you mentioned a few minutes ago was that in in regard to that kind of exclusivity, exclusivity, there is also a very distinct borrowing of theming from Disney's Hollywood Studios. Um, so much of things that were conceptualized that weren't so much, you know, over the top, you know, headliner attractions, but just actually the actual theming that they're going to shift California Adventure to focuses a lot on their entranceway and on kind of what their would be their the equivalent of their Main Street area, which they really haven't given a name to, a la Hollywood Boulevard and the studios. But this is going very much distinctly to be themed along 1920s uh, Southern California, Hollywood, as it appeared when Walt arrived there in uh, the mid-1920s. And so much to the point where they're even doing a reimagining of the partner statue that features Walt and Mickey side by side along the lines of the partner statue, but a very much younger Walt carrying a suitcase, kind of, I think he's got a you know movie camera over his shoulder kind of a thing. So they're really playing to that. And the interesting thing is that there's a weenie. They're, they're putting a weenie in. And that weenie is the Carthay Theater. Uh, it, that's the theater in Hollywood that premiered uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And the interesting thing there is that's represented on Sunset Boulevard in the Hollywood studios. Uh, that's down going towards um, Tower of Terror. And so they're borrowing that. They're also a big feature of this area is going to be the red car lines, which were famous within Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And there's reference to those also on Hollywood Boulevard. There's a kind of a warehouse garage kind of facade building there that has actually a red line emblem on it. So much of it's going to be very, very similar in theming in that regard. So it's kind of interesting that, you know, on one hand, we're saying that they want it to be very distinct, but they are borrowing some from from Disney World. Well, while to a certain degree, it is going to be kind of Hollywood Studios West, which is kind of the look and feel they're going for, you know, while we have in Florida... The Hollywood that never was, they're going for the Hollywood that, that really was around Walt's time. So it'll be interesting to see, as time goes on, what other ru- rumors come out as to what attractions may be transplanted or reproduced from the new DCA over to um, Walt Disney World 
in either you know the Magic Kingdom or uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios. So, Jeff, I want to thank you for coming on, uh, chatting with me a little bit about this. As always, if you have any rumors that you want to share, you can send them via email to lou at wdwradio.com. If you want to call in any rumors or comment on anything that we discussed, you can call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW. That's 206-202-4939. Or discuss them over at the forums at disneyworldtrivia.com. Flight 72, your Fiesta flight to Mexico and the ancient pyramids, now departing at gate 19. Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, your holiday cruise to the emerald beauty of a Puerto Rican rainforest, now ready for departure. It's time for another trip aboard my Walt Disney World Wayback Machine, and I want to welcome, as always, of course, Jeff Pepper from 2719 Hyperion. Hey, Lou. Uh, how you doing? Good, good. This is one, Jeff, that uh, I, I think it's safe to say you and I have both been looking forward to. And this week's Wayback Machine may really have been fueled by some of our recent sense of nostalgia with Epcot's 25th anniversary, but we wanted to really take a look at what I think is arguably one of our favorite attractions, certainly one of our favorite extinct attractions. Um, I know for my parents, it was one of their favorite attractions because when Disney used to use a coupon-based system of, uh, of getting on rides, it was free. So they liked it for those reasons as well. Um, and of course, I'm sure you can guess, Jeff, that we're talking about if you had wings. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun with this one because it's... For all the folks out there who are of our generation, our parents' generation, uh, it is very distinct in its place in Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom. And for the folks who never remembered it or were too young to go back that far, I think they'll get a kick out of a lot of the things we talk about and how they have very distinct connections all the way up into the Walt Disney World of today. Uh, this was a very, very unique attraction, and it just there's a lot to talk about, so we're going to have some fun. Yeah, let's um, let's start kind of before the attraction opened and talk about kind of how it came to be, because it, it really came about not because of a concept for an attraction first, but because of a sponsor. And uh, when Disney World was being constructed, Eastern Airlines signed on as a sponsor for Disney World for reportedly somewhere around $10 million dollars. And as part of that deal and making the Eastern the official airline, which was a great tie-in because they had about 60 flights daily coming down to Orlando from all parts of the United States. They were very big uh, on the East Coast. Disney now had to create an attraction for them. And what Eastern wanted really was for Disney to promote or allow in some way for an attraction to promote some of the more exotic places that they could take people. Not just Orlando, but places like Mexico and the Caribbean, exotic New Orleans, and it ended up being as well. But um, it really was meant to be as a showcase for Eastern Airlines. Yeah, it was definitely a, kind of a cart before the horse scenario. It was one of the very, very, if if only times that Disney really almost created a commercial for the sponsor. It, it's as you said, it, it started in development that way as opposed to 
here's an attraction we need to go find a sponsor that kind of relates to it so yeah it 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 was very interesting because also it was in a spot it was it, it went into tomorrowland when and in a way where it didn't necessarily relate to the tomorrowland theme not that as you've said in the past, many of the attractions that have ended up in Tomorrowland aren't specifically related, but this was very distinctly, certainly not futuristic in its in its theme or tone. Yeah, they, they basically had to shoehorn this attraction into the east side of the existing Circle Vision 360 theater. Um, for those of you maybe who might not be familiar with where that is, today it's where the Monsters, Inc. laugh floor is. There was this show building attached to the side of it with about 28,000 square feet, and that's all they had. They couldn't even build any farther back uh, or up or any other direction. That's all they had to do. And uh, one of the guys principally responsible for creating the the attraction is Disney legend Claude Coates. Yeah, Coates um, was so involved on this on so many levels. Just he was an expert show designer. He was so talented and he was very much involved in spatial concepts and spatial designs and that's why he was very key on this because you said they were dealing with a very limited amount of space so they had to get as much bang for their buck as possible and one of the concepts they decided to basically land on for this was a relatively new concept and that's the Omnimover system, uh, the Omnimover technology which had basically um, come out of Disneyland, out of the Disneyland attraction Adventures in Inner Space, and also was in then also in the process of being in the mid 60s, mid to late 60s, in place for uh, the Haunted Mansion, and that is basically where they started the concept. But Claude Coates' involvement even extended beyond that, uh, and it basically came up with this very very original theme design of uh, projected uh, movies combined with a static environment to kind of create the environment. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things we should, you know, when we start talking about the ride, but we could mention it here. One very unique thing that I think maybe a lot of people might not realize about this attraction was there was no audio animatronics at all. It was all done through projection and some static props, and that's it. And you, you know, playing it back kind of in your mind's eye, you almost don't even realize it because of how well it was done. And it's interesting is that in, and what one of the things that I remember when you, it's, it's funny, we, you're, you're talking about your parents, and I, I very distinctly remember my parents loving this attraction as well. I think it was my mom's favorite attraction, and it was very interesting that it touched kind of their generation. You know, We were all about the Haunted Mansion and the audio animatronics and going underwater in uh, 20,000 Leagues, and this particular attraction had a simplicity to it. At the same time, very complex in its design and development, but it had a simplicity to it compared to so many of the other attractions in the Magic Kingdom at the time. I think it really appealed to the older folks on that level. Right. Well, you know, it wasn't scary. It wasn't fast. It was very relaxing. Um, It was a nice break, you know, for a lot of people from the heat. They can go in. There was usually no line because of the Omnimover system. No matter how busy the parks were, you were always able to kind of get right back on if you had wings because of the type of rider it was. Yeah, which, what you uh, mentioned earlier was so dead on, and I, you and I both talked about this together. We were comparing sort of our, our mental histories, and, and that's a dangerous thing for us to do. <laughs> but, <laughs> but what we what we both said is what makes this very memorable, we think, on a lot of levels to people that were there, is that when you're talking about the 1970s, you're talking about the, um, the ticket system. You did not really have the, you know, one 
one thief, you know, ride all day kind of system set up. So you were still working off of your ticket books. And basically, when you went for a day, you were rationing your tickets. You know, you were probably only going to be able to ride Haunted Mansion once or Small World once or 20,000 League once. But because, as you said, this was sponsored by Eastern, it was a free attraction. It was such that you could ride it multiple times a day without using up any tickets. And that combined with the line uh, moving very fast, you rode it. I mean, I remember riding it three or four times a day just because I loved it and because it was something you could ride three or four times when you were there. Yeah, and I and I liked it. I mean, as a kid, I really, really liked this ride. And we'll talk about its changes through the years and how I was kind of disappointed, uh, as I think many people were, through the changes. But the other thing we should mention, too, was this was not an opening day attraction. Remember, when Tomorrowland opened back in October of 1971... There was not very much going on there. I mean, there were very few attractions that were open, save for the Skyway and the Grand Prix Raceway. This didn't open until June of 1972. That's when it opened to the public. It actually was formally dedicated on July 2nd uh, with Eastern Airlines and Disney kind of formally unveiling it at that point. But before, Jeff, we get inside the ride, um, I want to just mention briefly outside because Back in the early 70s, before the new Tomorrowland, Tomorrow was a very kind of a stark, um, sterile kind of thing. There was, um, instead of the the rock formation that you have on the Avenue of the Planets, you had these two giant white pylons. And in front of, if you had wings, you had a similar kind of very thin, tall white pylon as the identifying sign that had the Eastern logo and just the words, if you had wings. And that really was... You know, basically the exterior, uh, there was a couple of angular walls that had um, some kind of um, dimensional letters on it that said, you know, Eastern Airlines, if you had wings. But that really was about it. I mean, there was no yeah. kind of fancy facade. Yeah, Tomorrowland back then was uh, very much about minimalism. <laughs> very white. <laughs> we, we we wouldn't be able to do our DSIs. To, to, we, we would have five-minute DSIs if we were doing <laughs> You know that everybody's yelling at their iPods going, there's no way Lou and Jeff can do anything in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Isn't the, that an interesting font on the If You Had Wings sign? Yeah. Yes, it is, Jeff. Isn't that very good? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the story behind that font goes back to... Um, <laughs> but the other thing that's, that's notable about the exterior of If You Had Wings was not the entrance itself, but what was above the show building. Because the If You Had Wings section of that building actually had a Wedway People Mover track installed above it. And this is three years before the People Mover opened in July of 75. And if you you know kind of go online and look at some of these old pictures and old videos of the entrance to If You Had Wings, you could see the railings for the Wedway People Mover that, like I said, wouldn't be installed for, for ye- almost three years later. And we'll, and we'll get to that too, is that, that the People Mover... And um, if you had wings, did share a very kind of interesting symbiotic relationship. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the other thing, too, notable about the outside um, was that they had a greeter. They had usually a female cast member stationed outside, just kind of greeting guests as they walked in. Um, I, I remember one of the things I fondly remember was getting the little pilot's wings. And, and that's she's usually the person she or he would usually be the person that gave you the little kind of airline pilot wings to kids. Nothing commercial about that. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> but once you got inside, um, again, this was one of those memorable cues, and we'll talk about, again, that sort of relationship to adventure through inner space. It was really meant to represent a modern airport terminal, and it had just kind of very stark white walls. It had blue carpeting, um, and you got, like on all Omnimover attractions, you got onto the speed ramp 
to get into one of your blue Omnimover vehicles. It was about 102 of them on the line. But how you actually entered the attraction is probably the thing that people remember most. Let's actually um, back up one second because let's give everybody kind of a little bit of perspective in that. Okay, it, it, we, we haven't really you know, said this, and it's probably worth saying, although most people realize it. This attraction is essentially where Buzz Lightyear is now, or was where Buzz Lightyear is now. It basically uses the same ride track, the same Omnimover system, and the same queue area. But the interesting thing is when you were just talking about the queue area, the queue area changed very dramatically later on, and we'll talk about that right. with, um, when we talk about Buzz Lightyear and we talk about Dreamflight, which came after it. But it's very different because it was a very open, very high-ceilinged environment, and you can't get the sense of that now, even though the queue area for Buzz Lightyear is in the same place. And if you see any pictures of the queue area, it's, it's very open, and it's just very, very dramatically different than the way it is now. But as we go through all of this, it's interesting is that if you, when you ride Buzz Lightyear, you walk onto Buzz Lightyear, you can kind of go back in time and kind of imagine this because you're kind of walking the area the same way and you're actually boarding the ride in the same way and you're riding the same essential track layout right. and going through the same rooms. So. Right. But, I mean, completely opposite of what you had with You Have Wings. Buzz Lightyear is obviously very dark, you know, like you said, very right. low ceilings. This was very wide open, very, very bright. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of uh, external light that came into the queue area that really kind of made it very bright too. So complete, you know, polar opposite from what you had back then. And then, actually, and you and I just talked about this as well, is there are some very, very strong parallels to it and to Adventures in Inner Space at Disneyland. Um, if you look and compare those two queue areas and kind of the entrance and sort of just the dynamic of how you rode the Omnimovers into the ride, very, very strong similarities in, in the setup. And again, very open queue area that they had out there in Disneyland. The thing that I, I loved so much and I always thought was so cool was when you entered kind of the show building and start of the attraction, you enter through this giant globe um, that, that you know, was opened up. Actually, was, if, you, if you look at pictures, and, and I'll tell you at the end of the, of, of the segment where you can find some pictures and some great resources online, you'll see that you enter the globe right below Florida in the Caribbean, one of the, port, one of the destinations that Eastern was trying to highlight. There was actually also a, a giant Eastern Airlines jet that was mounted on the side of the globe, which, of course, would be removed later on when they, when they lost their sponsorship. Um, but again, this is where you started to catch some cool things that were going on in the queue. Um, one of the ones was the announcer talking about the arriving and departing flights, um, talking about you know the Whisper Liner service to the underwater reefs of Bermuda, um, and some of the other destinations that you would see later on as you went through. You know, the one thing notable about this too, and I have never been able to find it, is that according to uh, some old documents that I have. It says that Orson Welles was at one time the voice of the announcer. I have never been actually able to find Orson Welles narrating that part of the attraction. The only thing I, I could find with Orson Welles and his ties to the attraction and Eastern Air Airlines was right? that very creepy commercial. And I'll put yeah. a link up into the show notes to where you can find it. Super creepy. There's a little girl running through the forest. And she's asking if every, anybody knows how to get to the Magic Kingdom. And all the, you know, there's a very bizarre looking Mad Hatter in there and, and, a, and a Peter Pan and some other people. And Orson Welles, you know, Mr. Reassuring himself <laughs> tells her, you know, 
you know, come on, little girl, Eastern Airlines can take you to Walt Disney World. So, you know, and we will sell no wine before it's done. <laughs> find your way to the airport, sister, and we'll uh, we'll fly you down by yourself <laughs> to Walt Disney World. So, uh, but yeah, if you haven't seen that, I'll put something up in the show notes where you can find it because it, it's bizarre to say the least. But there was also the um, Jeff. Do you remember the big sign that had the different? Uh, like again, yeah, like an airport terminal had the arriving, departing things, and it talked about um, what flights were coming in, what flights yeah. were online and delayed, and showed Caribbean. And again, here's some interesting foreshadowing. Again, design foreshadowing of future attractions. Uh, very, very distinct foreshadowing of Horizons, the future port at mm-hmm. Horizons. And if you actually see a picture of this queue area and you see the sign that you're referring to, it's. I mean, you could practically lift the scene right out of the Star Tours queue at Disney MGM Studios the same way when you come around the bend and ramp around and you have the entire, you know, arrival departure sign in Star Tours. There are just some very, very distinct parallel design elements from this. So, Yeah, and you know, if I guess maybe back in the 70s when you look at some of these destinations and say, wow, you know, maybe this is some place that we could go because they're talking about the pyramids of ancient Mexico and the underwater reefs of Bermuda and all different types of adventure specials. You know, maybe at the time when people weren't traveling as much to these kind of destinations, it was a great way to say, huh, you know what, that this actually does look pretty cool. Um, but one of the notable things about it, and, and I unashamedly admit that I love this song, If You Had Wings. If you've heard it, you know it, you can sing it, and you probably have. It, it falls into that category of, you know, small world. <laughs> and it's very repetitive in its its lyrics and its chorus and such, but it's just beautiful again in its simplicity as it matches your experience on the ride. It was it was written by Buddy Baker, and the lyrics were by Ex-Atencio, who are both studio veterans, big music veterans. Atencio also did the lyrics for Grim Grinning Ghosts. Um, these were guys that had put in a lot of um, hours at the studio, and they did a, they did an amazing job on this. And it's interesting because it hasn't survived. I mean, geeks like us, you know, have basically managed to to dig it up on the internet or dig it up, you know, dig up old audio files or whatever. Um, but it's not something that lasted, you know, like Grim Grinning Ghosts or. And I think it's I guess it's more that commercial association with Eastern Airlines that sort right, of didn't allow right. it to be immortalized. But for us, yeah, it's very distinct. Yeah, that's why you'll find things like the, the songs, you know, from Take Flight on some of these CDs, as opposed to finding the original If You Had Wings, is because of, of that tie to Eastern Airlines. But you, you first hear it as you, you enter the globe. And one thing I, I was, I remember as a kid, and I understand now why, having done my research, the song seemed very loud. It, it seemed like a very, very, you could hear it really loud in the queue, you could hear it very loud in the attraction. Uh. And, I know why. And, <laughs> go ahead. No, please. I will not steal your thunder. I'm sure you have that highlighted in your notes. So go ahead. Well, the thing, that, the thing, you know, we're going to lead into with all of this is we we talked about the the um, this this attraction was all about screen projections um, and movie, basically movies intermixed with static, very detailed but still static environments. And so basically, you had a whole, excuse my French, buttload of. Uh, Movie projectors running, and they were some of them were very loud. And is that a so technical believe, term? Is is buttload? Yeah, buttload. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, is that just anyway? A, is that just above a oh, actually, boatload? Okay. <laughs> okay. Here, here. I'll go all scholarly on you. There were over forty projectors. <laughs> there. Are you happy trivia guy? <laughs> Eighty-five. Um, forty. Forty plus equals buttload. Uh, <laughs> so now you. 
<laughs> anyway, they needed the, the This whir- is why these segments are an hour long. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> but the whirring, whirring, or whatever. Let me do sound effects now. Um, I'll be Jimmy McDonald. Uh, they um, were loud. And so that is why when you went into that initial area, because of the projection noise, they had to amp up the volume of the music to kind of cover that up. Is that correct? Am I, do I get an A? I'm not even going to touch the comparison between you and Jimmy McDonald because you went whir, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try and stick to the facts and the content because... Oh, um, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> because the next scene, Jeff... Is is kind of your takeoff, your your, your ascension, uh, you know, into the air, and and this is where you start seeing the first of some of the props. Again, these static props like the Aztec pyramid um, that would lead you into the next big scene and the first kind of destination that you'd find, which would be ancient Mexico, ancient Aztec okay, Mexico. But, but wait, wait, there's wait, more. There's wait, there's more. No, you 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 just skipped over one of the really coolest effects of the the attraction, and that was as you're coming through the globe. The first thing you see, it's very dark, but the first thing you see were the animated seagulls. And the, oh, the right. gulls were very much the icon of the attraction, um, even when it kind of evolved into take flight later on. And actually, the gull did become the icon of the attraction, kind of the logo, is that you have animated sort of silhouettes of the seagulls flying through the darkness. And what they do is they morph into Eastern Airline jets. That's right. And it basically gives you the takeoff into the attraction. I very cool. I'm sorry, you're, you're, the Jimmy McDonald thing totally threw me off. <laughs> so, okay, now now we're in ancient Mexico. That's with... why we're a team, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing I remember most, God, about the uh, the ancient Mexico scene, and again, we'll talk, you know, how this relates to something else, were the cliff divers in Acapulco. And yeah. if and I'm sure many of you know exactly where else you probably have seen these, and that is in the old El Rio del Tiempo, and still in Grand Fiesta. Yeah, they're still there. So and that, and that will be the first of a number of references to things that you'd find in El Rio, and like you said, World of Motion. Um, but from ancient Mexico, you now go to modern Mexico where you see the mariachi band playing the If You Had Wings song. And, you know, again here, almost like It's a Small World and Haunted Mansion, where the same song plays throughout the attraction. In each scene, you're getting kind of a different version of it, played by the mariachi band, played by the steel drum band. But it continues throughout uh, the entire attraction. The other thing I noticed here when I was looking at an old video of it was the, the flower boat, the giant uh, boat of flowers that you saw in, in in El Rio and again in Grand Fiesta. Right, yeah. And from there, it kind of we, we transitioned from Mexico into the Caribbean seaport. And the, the, the entry kind of prop there was essentially a cruise ship where they're basically doing the whole bond, bond voyage thing and the people... And again, it's very interesting because it's a, it's a very clever mixture of a static prop. I mean, you actually have the ramp going up to the ship, and right where the ramp connects with the ship, you have the the, the projection of the people throwing their confetti and everything over the over the side. Yeah, I mean, you, you don't feel as though you're looking at a screen. You feel as though you're looking at these people um, in the distance uh, at the end of it. And again, great use of the 3D static props and the projection that just works so, so well. And remember, too, you're going, I mean, you're only going really about two feet per second. You're not going very fast. But these scenes 
because of the the attraction was relatively short, only four and a half minutes, you only are in there for a couple of seconds. So your payoff has to come very quickly. And, and here's a great example of it in the first part of the scene and the second part of the scene. Okay, this really is my favorite part of the attraction was the man who's holding the swordfish Fish. that grew and shrank while <laughs> the wife takes the picture. Um, you know, simple, silly. I just thought it was hysterical for some reason. Had an impact on me as a kid. And this is where I know, I know for a fact that there are folks out there that are going, oh my God, I remember that. <laughs> right, now. right. And it's it, because I had the same reaction. You know, you, you go, you're away from this for so many years. And I remember when I was doing research for this, and somebody actually had a picture of that exact scene where the swordfish keeps stretching um, up and down. And I actually caught a version of, kind of very crude taped version of YouTube. And I went, oh my God. And it's, yeah, you're right. That is one of the most clever parts of it and there's a few others there's one other very distinct thing we'll get to as well yeah everybody's gonna go oh yeah oh yeah right. and <laughs> it's 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 bringing back those kind of memories and i know there's lots of folks out there that are probably going oh my gosh yeah which is why we do what we do right <laughs> it's our mission um from there you go to another scene that's somewhat reminiscent of el rio del tiempo where you see the straw marketplace and you see a projection of a couple and they have um on the backdrop they have hats and, and straw pocketbooks and again there's the 3d p- props on the floor to make you feel as though you're looking into their little store and that yeah very much like you said as you that the one scene where you actually had the people in el rio del tiempo haggling with you as you as your boat eased by very very much derivative of that original scene in if you have wings right from there, you uh, went to sort of like an underwater location where divers are on a treasure hunt, looking through like the um, a sunken ship, looking for treasure. And from there, you get to the Caribbean. And another one of the memorable scenes is the people dancing. Remember that they're doing the limbo with the steel drum right. band behind them. Uh, yeah, for some reason, city. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, from there, the next scene, that really about the tenth scene in the attraction, was Puerto Rico. And again, there's that very smooth transition of the steel drums playing to another band playing. And there's a woman with maracas who is dancing. And they see uh, in the distance the San Juan Castillo San Felipe del Moro Fort. And if that name sounds somewhat familiar, that's actually the same fort that the exterior of Pirates of the Caribbean was modeled after. Right. Oh, see, nice tie-in. <laughs> nice tie yeah. We're still in the Magic Kingdom. We didn't go too far. That's right. Uh, again, next scene, the Mahama scene. Uh, again. This is the one, again, where right. everybody's going to go, oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. But this was this was actually, I, if I'm describing this correctly, it was more or less three separate screens, side by side. And in the center screen, you had the traffic cop, who was basically very obviously blue screened <laughs> you know where he's it he's, he's shh, yeah shh, no. but even i think that was part of the the joke of it because clearly he's directing traffic and you have the actual foot traffic going on the street and then you have the flamingos coming from the other direction <laughs> and it would keep interspersing back and forth and very amusing scene and it was it was one it was the showstopper for the kids pretty much right. when you were riding right and again here the, the music transition from the woman with the maracas doing the to the marching band and the Bahamian marching band doing it. Uh, from there, you went to Jamaica, and if you've ever been to Duns River Falls, you'll, you'll remember that scene as well. The people climbing up the falls. Um, the very, the very interesting thing to remember about this was, is this is where they got totally silly because again, you say there, there's all these people in their bathing suits climbing up the falls, but they actually looped the footage to make it appear like they were doing some type of line dance 
<laughs> so and I've heard people describe this scene where essentially the, the actual footage, these people are holding on to each other, not because they're doing any kind of dance, because they're holding on to each other for so fall. Yeah, if you've ever climbed the falls, fall. you'll know exactly what, what I'm talking about. But, but they're looping it, you know, they're looping it to give it that comical kind of sensibility. So. Right. And remember, like I said, you're not in these scenes for very long. I mean, relatively speaking, these are very short cut scenes. So you're kind of booking through, even though your vehicle is moving at a very slow rate of speed. And in the next scene, Jeff, we go back, we see the seagulls again. And these seagulls, you're going to see over and over again, not only in this attraction, but in the next incarnation of it, in Trinidad. You see the seagulls kind of flying by in the uh, in lagoon, kind of dusk. Right. From there, you go to exotic New Orleans and uh, during Mardi Gras of all time. So it, uh, it was a very... Um, lively, very vibrant kind of thing. There was a, a Dixieland band, kind of shadowy figures playing. Not shadowy figures, but shadow figures, <laughs> right? Well, uh, and that's no, and that's that's a good point because throughout the attraction, and again, here, here, you know, just to come bring out sort of the geek in me, is this is where Claude Coates' design sensibilities just really shine. Is that you have the combination of actually, you know, the movie footage where you're seeing people, but the use of silhouettes. I mean, they use the silhouettes to affect back all the way back in some of the mexico scenes as well and it's creating this sense of you're actually seeing shadows or silhouettes of these people giving it that sort of real realism as opposed to just looking at the movie screens and and, you know you always have a sense that you are looking at projection screens but when they use the silhouettes they're used to such great effect because there you're getting a sense of oh i those could be there, there could be a you know the dixieland band right over there on the other side of that you know wall or that scene or whatever so right and you know when you you mentioned that talking about things like depth and stuff like that the scene in the uh castillo del moro fort it's that same kind of thing the 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 band is very much up close to you but in the distance you get a, a very great uh sense of perspective and people in in the back by an archway and stuff like that and it was just shot very very well to really give you almost a 3d sense in that scene and again the projection at the time was very very simple i mean there was nothing really much to it um but the fireworks that culminate this scene lead to okay this really is my favorite part of the attraction and again another one of the things i think jeff like you said people gonna say what yes i remember this was the speed room and the speed room becomes very very significant again to where it eventually leads to in other disney attractions um, but here again, this is where we, we talked about all the um, projectors that were being used. There were um, primarily 16 millimeter um, movie projectors used on almost all the film sequences. But here you had a 70 millimeter film projector working the speed room. And everybody knows kind of the speed room. It's you're kind of in a tunnel and you're going through this kind of tunnel effect. And basically, this is basically setting the precedent for so much. It, it's setting the precedent for your Star Tour simulator attractions. It's it's actually being recycled and reused later in Epcot attractions and, and specifically in World of Motion. But that's what, again, I, I sort of alluded to when we started talking about this. You know, people go, come on, guys. It's just it was it was like Eastern Airlines little commercial attraction. It wasn't that big a deal. It was a big deal. Yeah. It, it laid the groundwork for so much design and technology and Imagineering type of leaps forward that it's just the groundwork was here and even though it's a very basic attraction and, and more or less you'd probably call it a D ticket or a C ticket it gave us so much I mean is that is that am I being too geeky here or no I- not at all because <laughs> because think about it some of the, the things that you saw were 
you know, like you being a first-person perspective of water skiing or riding down this, this speed train in a forest or a dune buggy in a desert. And what they did was they actually tilted your ride vehicle backward just a little bit. Right. And yeah. they blew fans in your face to kind of make you feel as though as you're moving. And am I the only guy who's thinking Soren? Uh, you know, a very, very yeah, basic exactly. version of Soren. Yeah. That's it. There's just so much design sensibilities in all this. And it's it's very... It's very simple. I mean, a couple other examples, not to go too off our track here because we're still <laughs> on the ride, no pun intended. <laughs> but you see these elements, these design elements will pop up, and they'll only pop up for a second or two in various attractions. But just the sense of the, the filmed backgrounds, the projected the projected movie onto a static thing. You have the Roman chariot in the Roman scene in um, the Rome sequence of Spaceship Earth. You have um, in the land... Uh, where you have the you go through the one segment where you have all the very large screens there in place going through different kind of vignettes or pictures. You're, you know they're they're not direct connections, but this is again coming back to not so much technology, although that is certainly important, but the design sensibilities again that just kind of just set the this really established so much groundwork for what came later. Yeah, and they they continue the effect a little bit more in the next scene, which, which is kind of just like the mirror room and the walls instead of covered with screens are covered in mirrors and they're showing all these reflected scenes of things like the mountains and the deserts, stuff that you just came from from the speed room right before it. And as you kind of start flying back to the, you know, to your destination, in the descent scene, you see those same seagulls again, this time with the white projections on, on a blue sky. And you come in for your landing. And the thing I remember about this was now you hear your your you know overhead announcer telling you you do have wings you can right. fly you and the song changes you've always had wings will be your wings <laughs> Eastern Airlines <laughs> and but it was guess that what? it was that so much Captain Kirky way he said it yeah. <laughs> you do. And guess what they they had waiting for you? They had a travel desk with Eastern Airline representatives ready to book your flight right there at the end of the attraction. I mean, brilliant. I mean, brilliant. You have real Eastern employees, not Disney cast members who are, you know, putting you into You have real Eastern employees at this unload area, you know, giving little kids their pilot wings while mom and dad go and say, hey, you know, how can I go to Duns River Falls? And right then and there, you could book your vacation. And again, what does this foreshadow? Every post show that emerges at Epcot Center. <laughs> and granted, granted, there's roots. It's it wasn't necessarily the first. You know, things were like this were rooted in in a lot of sponsorships that went into Disneyland and you know things like the World's Fair, the '64 World's Fair, things like that. But still, there it 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 just you know so much of what came after the American Express travel desk. Right, that's beautiful. what I was going to say exactly. Right there. <laughs> so, and uh, unfortunately, Jeff. If you had wings, did not last as long as we flight, didn't it? It took flight, Lou. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, no, wait a minute. That was wrong one. Wrong one. We <laughs> jumped ahead too far. <laughs> um, you know, Eastern uh, unfortunately suffered some severe financial problems, and when it came time to renew their contract, they just couldn't financially justify it. And so on June 1st, 1987, the attraction closed um, when the when the sponsorship ran out. 
And, uh, you know, unlike Epcot's 25th anniversary or Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, there was no public outcry. There was no anything. And, uh, and they really didn't have very much time to do anything because four days later, the ride opened up again. <laughs> and uh, it, it now, if you could fly, but it was yeah. just basically all the all it did was essentially to change the song. Or did the song get changed completely? The song changed, Here, right. Uh, right. Any yeah, references and, to the airline were gone, and the song lyrics were, were, were changed. And the interesting thing is that, you know, when you mention, uh, you know, about Eastern Airlines having their problems and everything, the one thing that's notable, though, is 15 years was a long sponsorship. Yeah. <laughs> in, in the realm of, you know, Disney-sponsored theme park attractions, that was very, very long. And when you compare it to, I think, typically, the Epcot sponsorships were only ever 10 years when they started those out in 1982. So that was a, it was a pretty long tenure. Well, remember, too, they're also committing, you know, $10 million at the time, which was, I mean, a ton of money, um, you know, and for this great relationship they were going to have where, where they were really going to be the official airline of Walt Disney World. But, um, you know, we talked about the Seagulls, and in this four-day span, they changed the song, they remove all references to Eastern, the... the plane that was on the exterior of the globe is gone and now the logo outside has changed from that um, sort of eastern triangular thing to seagulls where we're back to the seagulls again because of, of how prominent they were in the attraction so that closed in january of 89 so it really didn't even stay open for for more than two years because disney now is moving on delta is now going to be the official airline and sponsor so they need to kind of redo the attraction and this is when it comes delta dream flight and one thing i noticed which was interesting like you said jeff the track has not changed the ride system has not changed when they put when they installed if you had wings it took them three months when they installed dream flight it took them five months to build you know on top of an already existing attraction which just seemed somewhat odd um, but again, there were there were some pretty wholesale changes um, throughout the attraction from the queue on. You know, Tomorrowland is interesting. And here we go. I'll go off track just slightly again. But Tomorrowland is truly the greenest land of Epcot because it's all about recycling. <laughs> <laughs> all the I was wondering where you were going with the green thing. <laughs> I, I had a point. <laughs> all of the attractions in Tomorrowland are it's it Imagineering recycles. They take the same basic. In this case, track. In the case of Timekeeper, they used the same established three, uh, 360 uh, projection theater. Alien Encounter, Stitch's Great Escape, is still essentially using the same theater-type environments that were originated with Flight to the Moon and Mission to Mars. And here again, we are still looking at these, you know, aside from Monster's uh, Laugh Floor, you know, basically finally kind of rearranging things a little bit in the theater there, you're still using <laughs> your same ride mechanisms right. that, you know, were... 35 years old. Right. The, the one thing I remember about the queue, and we talked about the attraction and the, the building's relevance to other attractions, I remember something in the queue for Dream Flight that reminds me of the old Image Works because there was this neon blue tunnel that you had to walk through in order to get uh, to the Omnimover system. And that yeah, reminded is, me of, of the Image Works, yeah, the, the sensor tunnel. Because it was. I'm sorry, I didn't mean nervous. The, the, um, it was mirrors. There was like mirrors, mm-hmm. weird neon kind of <laughs> yeah. thing. And it's where the, it's where the ceilings dropped. Um, and I think that's kind of where you have more or less the Buzz Lightyear type, you know, queue area now that's more or less more recycled from Dreamflight because it's very enclosed, very 
not not quite claustrophobic, but a very very dramatic change from what was there originally with you have wings. And like Journey into your Imag- into imagination, closing, reopening as pretty much the same attraction almost in when it's Journey into your imagination and being so disappointed with it. I remember vividly riding this and going, you know, what did they do? I love this attraction, and now instead of talking and going to these exotic destinations, we're you know they say. And imagine it was quarter saying that they were really trying to capture the great areas, the eras of aviation, and uh, they did not do that all that well. You know, I remember there were certain scenes that stuck out. There was a, a very, uh, very nice Japanese tea garden and things like that. I remember the giant plane, the giant nose of the plane that they had in there, but and the barnstormer scene as well as the new music, and really not liking that version of an attraction that I enjoyed so much. And here I have to disagree. Sorry. <laughs> Here's the first time for anything, so... <laughs> uh, well, you know, I can only, you know, I can only, you know, follow your lead so long, but I got to strike out and be a little independent here. I, I really... Dreamflight, I loved. I really enjoyed Dreamflight. I, I think at the time, I did not have as much sentimental attachment to um, If You Had Wings because... Really, I, you know, when I was younger and my experiences, you know, were very memorable of if you had wings, but I didn't do it all that often because I had only traveled probably less than, you know, a half a dozen times to Disney World before I was, you know, in my early 20s when I went and Dreamflight opened up. And I just, I did not have anything to sort of hold against it or I wasn't really, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is I wasn't really drawing comparisons and I really enjoyed it. I, I loved sort of the sets and the use of force perspective. Uh, I like the history of aviation theme because it wasn't quite so commercial. <laughs> it wasn't just sort of an extended commercial for Delta. It was it was kind of it had a theme, a central theme to it that sort of went beyond it. So so I did like it. I I, I really enjoyed it. I, I've I've seen uh, where a lot of other folks do reflect kind of what you're saying, and I, I have to say I, I I'm not quite on board. Listen, you're heartless, and that's fine. I'm good with that. We'll just move <laughs> forward. No big deal. The uh, the music changes well, you know. And if you want to break out into ones you've taken your dream flight, uh, feel free. But yeah, the, the song obviously changed to Dream Flight, which was pretty good too. Uh, you know, I, I like the song as well. But uh, you know, we mentioned earlier about how the Wedway People Mover had gone. Um, you know, the, the the track and the area was built above it before it even opened. Once it did open like it is today where you can look into Buzz Lightyear, you were actually able to look into the If You Had Wings attraction. You were able to see uh, the Caribbean port and um, different things like that. When Dreamflight opened, it was the same thing. You could now look down on the Barnstormer scene, but they also closed off a couple of the windows. And now in that same area, as you're going through, right before you get to the windows that lets you look into the Buzz Lightyear scene where you see the giant kind of rock'em sock'em robot guy there's the woman getting her hair um, all done up right in 20 different directions yeah right that was actually a window that was open when if you had wings was there and then once Dreamflight came in they closed that first series of window um, first series of windows up yeah and actually that's what I just mentioned about like I said I really like the use of force perspective in those scenes that kind of went gave the whole people mover um, TTA a rough time because basically it ruined the force perspective. You were looking at it from an angle that you weren't supposed to look at it. So it, it kind of did run counter to that. So I, I will give you a, a critical kind of comment there. 
Okay, that helps. Okay, Mr. Dreamflight. And you must have been <laughs> devastated when it closed in June of 96 and became Take Flight. <laughs> you know, I it, was. it's Dreamflight Light. Right. And just like if you could fly, same attraction, no logos, no song. It's now Take Flight, and the, sale, the song changed um, just a little bit from, from what it was when it was Dreamflight. And then. I just. I just God, you're gonna. I'm gonna be Mr. Dreamflight now. Thank you. <laughs> oh, we knew we'd find a name for you sooner or later. Anyway, in uh, on October. You can say on the air, right? <laughs> <laughs> Family-friendly podcast. Anyway, uh, October seventh, nineteen ninety-eight. We finally get Buzz Lightyear's Space Ranger spin, which you know, honestly, Jeff, initially, I wasn't thrilled about. Um, I, I just didn't get the fit from what it was before to what that was. Um, the ride has definitely grown on me, and, and it's something I really enjoy now. And I know a lot of people like it because it is one of those very interactive things that that a family can do together, and you've got a score to try and reach. So I, I've definitely come around and like Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, it, it, the interesting thing is this. Again, I've heard so much criticism of Buzz Lightyear not fitting in Tomorrowland, and I guess there is a bit of a disconnect to that whole the retro future theme. But in a way, Buzz is kind of tied into that sort of retro future theming but I just always thought it was kind of ironic that everybody was very critical of that yet again if you go back to Dream Flight and if you had wings they had absolutely nothing to do with Tomorrowland right. and you know kind of wrapping the whole segment up Jeff that that's my first point is Tomorrowland was never about tomorrow you know you had if you had wings the Circle Vision films were never about anything futuristic you know um any of the films that really played in there, other than maybe Timekeeper, were nothing about the future. Flight to the Moon was about something that had happened in the past. Forget that. Go backwards. The Grand Prix Raceway, you know, and the Skyway, there was nothing futuristic. There was nothing forward thinking about it. So Tomorrowland was almost, for lack of a better word, a misnomer other than just the theming of it. And I think that's what we have to kind of keep in perspective. Just the theming of the land was futuristic but the attractions therein weren't necessarily that way from day one um you know maybe you could could argue that the people mover was because it was meant to be uh you know a future real mode of transportation for people but other than that i mean that's really about it you know you're not going to tell me the astro orbiter other than having rocket ships instead of flying carpets or elephants or anything else was a futuristic attraction and again and, it, and again, bringing it all the way back to if you had wings, you know, we, again, being the geeks that we are, there, there is so much significance. And we were alluding to all the places where the, the these concepts, these design concepts, and even the technology evolved. I mean, so much of Future World circa 1982 was rooted in so much of the design philosophy that was found in if you had wings, uh, horizons, world of motion. World of Motion is literally sort of an evolution of sorts of If You Had Wings. Granted, If You Had Wings was focused strictly on you know exotic locations and traveling by air. It, if you look at the you know the queue area, the loading, and just then the progression of sequences, it's it's just sort of like World of Motion is an expansion of that same kind of design philosophy, albeit thrown in all the audio, audio animatronics. Um, it's sort of that expansion. And significantly, it had the speed ramps. There was actually two speed ramp, or speed tunnels. I'm sorry, in um, World of Motion, that were just sort of evolutions of that one that was in. And again, to, to give everybody, you know, that that uh, speed tunnel is still in Buzz Lightyear. Right. 
Well, even a more direct connection to World of Motion was that was the first Omnimover ride that they created after a few had wings. I mean, there was no other Omnimover system that was that was done after a few had wings for really almost a decade. You know, actually right. more than a decade. So, but you know, why was the ride so appealing? Why are we talking about it for for again almost an hour? You know, <laughs> I, it was it, its brilliance was in its simplicity. Like you said, it, it was fun. It was funny. Um, it was just very simply an entertaining ride. I think that's why kids and adult likes adults liked it. Uh, it had a great catchy song, which I think is the hallmark of all these classic Walt Disney World attractions. Uh, and it had these concepts that we we alluded to that Disney was able to use again and again. They just these core concepts that worked in World of Motion in El Rio that ended up becoming things like Soren. Um, and it was very unique. It was a very unique ride. Um, in all of Walt Disney World. And again, as you, as you mentioned, you can still get that kind of taste of it by riding uh, Grand Fiesta Tour because essentially that same type of screen projection system is what is, you know, throughout that, even now with the, you know, the three Caballeros, uh, you know, plusing upgrade to it. Um, but yeah, if you want, really want to get a sense of it, kind of just pretend you're on an Omnimover instead of a boat, and that'll give you an idea of, of the experience you would have had on if you had wings. And next time you go on Buzz Lightyear, you know, try and not pay attention to what you're doing, but you know, see if you could remember scene by scene what was where you are. So you know, you know, where were where were you going into the globe? Where were you going through the speed tunnel? Where were you? in some of these different scenes now that we've kind of given you a scene by scene thing and and you can almost get a sense sometimes you know almost kind of jar your memory as you go through of um, of if you had wings because because it's exactly the same so there are some if you're an if you had wings fan or this did kind of jog your memory or if you want to see more there are some great online resources um, that I highly recommend that you should check out one of which is Widen Your World, and it has a very convoluted URL, so I'll put that in the show notes. Really the definitive resource for photos and information. It's by someone by the name of Mike Lee, who clearly loved the attraction. Um, rather than me trying to reproduce the photos in our show notes, I will link to his site. Um, I, I highly recommend you go in there. Also, we've mentioned Martin before. He's from the UK. He does some amazing videos. He has done a great um sort of ultimate tribute to If You Had Wings and Dreamflight that have full ride-throughs as well. Also, I've mentioned them on the show before, the Extinct Attractions Club. I love the DVDs that they put out. Uh, they have if, if You Had Wings that has If You Had Wings, it's got Dreamflight. It's got a great history of not only the attraction, but of Tomorrowland uh, and really gives you some unique perspectives as well. I'll put links to all those things up in the show notes. Um, and Jeff, as always, that this is always a lot of fun, kind of going back on these wayback machines. Yeah, this was a blast. I, I really enjoyed it, and this was this one was in particular a lot of fun and brought back a lot of good, good memories. All right, Dream Flight, thanks very much, buddy. <laughs> thanks, Luke. Hello, WDW Radio listeners. This is Jonathan Dichter, co-host of the All About the Mouse Disney podcast and owner of voiceofmousetunes.blogspot.com. And I'm back this week with another in the series of 
Eric Hollister and Lou Mangello's Marathon Challenges. This week, the Voices Behind the Magic Challenge. Similar to our last challenge, the Voices Behind the Movies, I will give you 10 audio clips from attractions and rides throughout Walt Disney World. Your job, identify the attraction and the voice artist. Email your answers to marathon at wdwradio.com and you could be the next winner in the Marathon Challenge. Good luck. Here they come. In thousands of sparkling lights and electrosynthomagnetic musical sounds, the Main Street Electrical Parade. We anchor now, you swabbies. What be I offered for this winsome wench? Stout-hearted and corn-fetchy. Hey, be a stouter by the pound? Shift your cargo, dearie. Hey, Henry, what's holding you up? Let's get on with the show. We can't hang around here all day. Science? We'll need electron beams and crystal prisms, gyroscopes and magnetism. Oh, my siestas are getting shorter and shorter. Oh, look at all the people. And welcome to Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. Hey, Michael, me amigo. Pay attention, it's Joe time. Sure to do better next time. It was my first flight, and I'm still getting used to my programming. Hey, hey! No privacy at all around this flight. A new film process, which we're about to demonstrate to you. Uh, now, working the projector is an old friend of ours, the Swedish Chef. Chef, everything okay? When hinges creak in doorless chambers. And strange and frightening sounds echo through the halls. Hang on to them hats and glasses, cause this here's the wildest ride in the wilderness. Well, all right, folks, Eric Hollister from Geomouse.com, and we want to thank Jonathan Dichter from the All About the Mouse podcast for uh, his help in challenge number eight in the Lou Mangiello WDW Half Marathon Challenge Series. Uh, again, as he said, please submit all of your entries to marathon at wdwradio.com, and you must name the voice, which is the actual person behind the attraction, as well as the attraction itself. And we will pull all those uh, correct answers together and draw for a winner. The winners will receive, again, volumes one and two of the Walt Disney World trivia books signed by Lou Mangiello, a DisneyWorldTrivia.com t-shirt, a DisneyWorldTrivia.com pen and lanyard. Also this week, we're going to throw in both The Jungle Book and Peter Pan on DVD, Disney's last two uh, animated releases. Also, the winner will be able to get a certificate of dedication, so don't forget to name your mile marker for mile marker number eight, which we will also post on geomouse.com. You will also be entered into the grand prize drawing, and everyone will want to stay tuned for November 3rd's, ep- or November 3rd's WDW Radio Podcast, where Lou and I will announce what the grand prize will be. And as always, geomouse.com will donate $100 in 
the WDW Dream Team project. So, again, folks, good luck with this week's challenge. We're going to send it back to Lou. Good luck, everyone. As part of my continuing efforts to not only bring you helpful vacation planning tips and insights into getting the most out of your Walt Disney World vacation, I'm also always looking for ways to help you save money and really get the most bang for your buck when you visit Walt Disney World. So recently, when Disney announced their ticket price increase, I started wondering if there was another way to somehow save money on buying tickets. And while there's sometimes discounts for specific groups or organizations, not everybody can qualify for those discounted and specialized ticket prices. So what I found out is that there are alternatives to buying tickets either directly from Disney or as part of a package. And while doing my research, I found out that not all of these sources are the same. But what I did find was that there are other authorized and official Disney sources to purchase tickets from. And after looking into and personally trying out a number of these sources, I came across one whose ticket prices were less than I found elsewhere, but more importantly, they were a company with a long reputation and uh, exceptional service. So I thought a great way to talk more about some of these discounted tickets and hopefully answer some of your frequently asked questions, I wanted to bring on someone who could help me explain how purchasing discount tickets works. So I want to introduce you to Eric Davis. He is from OrlandoFunTickets.com and welcome him to the show. Hello, Lou. How are you doing today? Good, good. I'm looking forward to this. And, um, you know, I, I think, Eric, before I even get rolling with this, I have to admit that when I began my research into looking into discount tickets for Walt Disney World, I was very, very skeptical uh, because there wasn't only this fear about not buying tickets directly from Disney, but, you know, you hear and you read horror stories from people who may have been burned online or bought tickets on eBay that weren't, quote unquote, real tickets or, or didn't have the number of days they expected. So I, my assumption is chances are there, there's other listeners that probably fear um, the same as I do. And, you know, when you see somebody with a website, too, you know, you don't know if they're operating out of their, you know, basement or some sort of roadside stand in the middle of Alligator Alley somewhere. <laughs> and that alone, I think, you know, makes people sometimes hesitant from buying online. You know, a trip to Walt Disney World for so many people is the highlight of their year or highlight of five years. They save up for it and it's so important to them. So I really want to address some of those concerns and demonstrate you know, how and, and maybe why what you guys do is different and, and maybe you can help us kind of allay some of those fears. Oh, certainly. You know, definitely ticket selling, you know, history as far as non-Disney ticket sales has really had kind of a, a controversial history here in the Central Florida area. You know, you do have a lot of those unfortunate and sad horror stories. And then with the invention of the Internet, you know, one of the blessings and the curses of it is that a business, a, a business can appear as large and basically as small as it really wants to. And so, you know, as far as a consumer going online, sometimes there is difficulty really kind of weeding out the real businesses and, and sometimes, you know, the, the less than honest businesses. 
And, you know, one thing that, you know, we at Orlando Fun Tickets, we're really striving to do is really kind of basically, you know, bring ticket selling and bring, you know, basically the third-party relationship to the whole next level. Uh, we really want to, you know, put people at ease and let them know that, you know, their hard-earned money is safe with us and that, you know, we're, we A, respect, you know, the fact that, you know, that they've worked a lot for this for these tickets and B, that, you know, we also treasure and, and share the Disney magic with them. And, you know, one thing that people can definitely, you know, rest assured in that we are, you know, a member of the Better Business Bureau here in Central Florida. And, you know, and like I said, you know, you know, we want to basically kind of erase all the, all the bad memories, and all the bad things that happened and, you know, to other people. And now that we're here in town and, you know, we've really been showing that we have a strong track record for providing great tickets and great customer service. And, you know, we get a lot of great repeat business because of that. And Eric, how long have you guys been in business, you know, selling Disney tickets and this kind of thing? Well, we've actually been uh, selling since 2001. We've been selling theme park tickets uh, through different business segments. And Orlando Fun Tickets has been in operation for over two years now. Okay. Now, I, you know, one of the things I, I had mentioned when I was talking about some of the fears was people selling, you know, having a stack of tickets and selling it out of their basements and coming across like they're, they're a big company. But one of the things I did when I first started looking into this was going around and trying to see if I could find and maybe visit some of these ticket centers. You guys are actually located right near the crossroads. That's correct. We have a premium location here that's uh, right about a mile from downtown Disney. We have a beautiful ticket center where you can come in. It's a nice little lobby setting. We have a beautiful uh, plasma screen TV with some Disney promotional videos running. So, you know, the minute you walk in the door, you get pumped, you get excited. You know, you're greeted by one of our really friendly customer service stars or customer service representatives. And, you know, really, like, we try to kick off your vacation with right off the right step, you know, right from the get-go. And, you know, a lot of our, our customer service representatives, you know, used to work for Disney. And so you know, the one thing is, you know, we're all very excited to help you start your vacation. Right. And that's kind of a really nice thing about coming into our, our center here. Right. And that's one of the things I saw was you kind of got that feel from people. On it, and maybe it's that the Disney cast member training um, that you got. Because you were a cast member, too, right? Correct. I actually was part of the Walt Disney World College program. Uh, very proud of that. Uh, and I also actually did a management internship at the Boardwalk Resort. And also very proud of that, too. You know, I, I really loved working for Disney. And, you know, I was lucky enough to find a company that, you know, basically has the same vision and, and same excitement level that Disney has. And where all day, I, all I get to do is, you know, I get to help people get ready for their vacations. I get to advise them on, obviously, you know, on, on what ticket packages they should get. And there's nothing more fun than that to me, you know, because I treasure the parks. And I treasure, you know, my experiences and my memories. And it's just really exciting to be able to help other people. Uh, get ready to, to make their own memories and, and explore all on their own. Exactly. And working, you know, a couple of miles away from the gates at Disney World is not all that bad considering I'm up in New oh, Jersey. No. So, <laughs> but you know, it, 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 it's surreal sometimes coming out of work, you know, late at night and, you know, you can hear the fireworks going off at Epcot and, you know, oh, it's illuminations going on or, you know, you hear wishes happening. And, and so it's kind of surreal working like that. All right. You don't need to rub it in. That's okay. <laughs> 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 but, all right, tell us you know, the, the whole concept of buying discount tickets almost doesn't make sense to somebody that doesn't understand how you and, and other ticket vendors are able to get tickets for less than what Disney sells. And we'll talk specifically about what the numbers are, um, you know, what the savings really could be. But kind of how do you, um, you know, how do you sell Disney tickets and what kind of tickets are they? I mean, are they 
quote-unquote real Disney tickets? Are they, you know, promotional things? You have to sit through a timeshare? Is there what's the catch? Well, certainly, you know, that's that's a question I get a lot every day in my dealings with with people all the time. Is you know, what's the catch? And really, it, it's kind of cool. Is there's really no catch at all? Actually, funny enough, um, what it is is we actually have a very special relationship with Disney. Is you know, it's kind of funny. You know, Disney World, Disney World is is the top tourist destination in the entire world. And because of that, you know, Disney, you know, they don't have to discount their tickets. But the thing is, is we have a very special relationship with Disney. And what happens is we buy just massive amounts, massive quantities of tickets. And we're able to basically, through bulk savings, be able to pass on the savings to our, to our, to our guests and to our customers. And, you know, because of that, you know, the sheer, you know, economy, basically the economics of, of, of numbers, you know, we're able to, to really make a, make a business out of it. And it's, basically a really great opportunity for us and it's a great opportunity for our customers because you know they, they get the exact same ticket they would buy at Disney you know Magic Your Way ticket you know from basically a three day all the way up to a ten day um, you know for less than what you pay at the gate and not to mention then you don't even have to wait at the at the at the gate to purchase your ticket you know there's nothing better than just you know going to Epcot walking right to the turnstiles and walking right in the park you know why waste 45 minutes an hour of your day waiting to buy tickets at the gate when you can just walk right in. All right, we'll, we'll talk, I guess, now about maybe the process, uh, you know, of actually purchasing the tickets and delivery of tickets, because that's another thing, too. You know, if I'm buying online, I, I don't, I'm not getting anything in return other than a piece of paper that says, that I can print out that says, yes, your, your tickets are on the way. If somebody goes, they go to the website um, and they purchase online, what kind of ways do they get the tickets? Are they shipped to them? Do they pick them up? Um, are they delivered to the hotel? Well, First, we have three ways that you can order your tickets from us. You can first order online, which is through our website, orlandofuntickets.com, or you can call in on the phone and talk to one of our very friendly and very awesome customer service representatives, or you can actually physically come into our store and purchase the tickets. Now, as far as when you make the order, you have three options on how you want to receive your tickets. You can either have them shipped to you via UPS, which it is then insured and guaranteed that you'll receive them one way or another. Um, you, you can either have them delivered to your hotel for a fee, or you, you can actually come into our office and just pick them up basically like a will call type of thing. Like I said, you know, we're only one mile from downtown Disney, so it's not too terribly far to go and pick up your tickets. And when you talk about you know, shipping tickets, you know, what are you looking as far as shipping costs and then time frame? You know, how far in advance of my trip would I need to order them to make sure that I get them? Well, I... You know, shipping can be very fast and, and very slow, as we all know. And I, whenever I've placed orders for people over the phone, I'm always extremely cautious because, you know, the last thing I want is for, you know, I know my mom personally, if it came to the day that we were leaving on a flight and she didn't have her tickets, she'd be running around frantic. You know, she'd be, you know, on the verge of tear, you know, crying and whatnot. So my one thing is I always want to make sure people are, are properly prepared for, you know, the, the waiting time, basically, for the shipping window. And... Whenever you order tickets, there's always a 24 to 48 hour time frame for the order to be processed and shipped out. So if you order UPS ground, the maximum amount of time it would ever take is nine business days. The likelihood it'll arrive a lot sooner than that. But like I said, I'm going to make sure you know the maximum window is satisfied, not the minimum window. Um, we also ship two-day UPS, um, which basically takes you know um, the maximum amount of time you're looking at is four business days for that to arrive. And in other circumstances, you know, we can ship next day. You know, but obviously. If you ship next day, you kind of lose some of the benefits of the discount. Um, as far as, you know, you can do then do pickup, which you can order same day and come into our office same day. 
and pick them up. Or with hotel delivery, uh, we just need 24 to 48 hours to process them and have them delivered straight to your hotel. All right, I, I'm going to give you a scenario that you know I could imagine happening to me. I order my tickets Certainly. a week, you know, two weeks in advance. It's the morning I'm leaving. No tickets in the mailbox. I, I've got to go, you know, to Newark Airport five hours early so I can get through security. Now I'm getting on the plane and I don't have my tickets. A- am I out of luck because they'll be sitting in my mailbox later on that day or tomorrow? Or what happens now? You know, you shipped them out, but I don't have them, and in two hours I'm going to be in Orlando. Well, this is where our special relationship with Disney kind of comes into play. And, you know, our quick thinking and also our great customer service comes into play. What happens is that at the bottom of every Disney ticket, there's a special ticket number. And when we, before we ship out any ticket, we record what ticket numbers we sent to what people. So, you know, if you bought five Magic Your Way tickets, we'd have basically a copy of the ticket numbers for those five tickets here in our office. You call, all you do is you call us up and, you know, in a nice or somewhat hysterical manner, depending on the person, <laughs> you know, you let us know that your tickets unfortunately haven't arrived. And of course, you know, we're very sorry, but it's not the end of the world at all, luckily. What we can do then is we provide you with the ticket numbers, and you're then able to go to any of the guest relation windows at Walt Disney World, and they're able to then reprint those tickets for you. So when you get home, you'll have those tickets there, you know, waiting for you, you know, but the, they can just be nice little souvenirs because they won't be any good at that point. But you'll be able to go straight into the park that day, you know, after getting your tickets reprinted. So it's really actually very nice, and, you know, luckily Disney has their system down pat like that, and so we're able to accommodate, you know, scenarios like this. So there's really nothing, you know, either physically with the ticket or what is on the ticket itself that differs, you know, quote unquote, your tickets from a ticket that I would get at the Magic Kingdom Guest Relations Office. Absolutely not. Our tickets, um, you know, they're all the, the Disney ticket media. You know, they have all the nice little uh, legal disclaimers on the back that Disney puts on them. They have the uh, magnetic strip along with, you know, the characters on the front and you know, like I said, we're an authorized Disney ticket reseller. Um, and one thing is, you know, we sell over 700,000 admissions to uh, Disney World and Central Florida attractions. You know, because of that, you know, we are used to any anything really happening. And luckily, you know, we can accommodate most any uh, scenario or situation. So, if, say, for example, I buy a, you know, base Magic Your Way two-day ticket from you. And we get there and say, you know what? We hit the lottery. We're going to stay a couple extra weeks. I want to go and make this a, you know, park hopper, water park fun. I want to upgrade it. I can take the ticket, do whatever I would do as if I had bought the ticket directly from Disney. Exactly. That's actually kind of a really awesome thing is that you can modify these tickets directly through Disney. Uh, You know, you take them to any of the guest relations or any of the ticket windows and you can, like, let's say you bought, you know, a a 10-day ticket from us for a great price. And you say, well, you know, I'm not actually going to use all these 10 days like I thought he was. And, you know, you can actually go to guest relations at any time, and you can actually uh, add that non-expiration feature to it, so you can save those days for the future. Okay. All and right. so that, that's kind of really, really the very cool thing, is that, you know, you can still modify these tickets directly through Disney. Okay. All right, so I'll admit my, my fears have, for the most part, been allayed, and, and I'm not, now I understand that they're real tickets. I can, you know, I, I have no problem. If something goes wrong, you'll do what you got to do to make it right. So I'm not going to be left stranded after I buy the tickets. But now let's talk about the reason why I should buy tickets. Let's talk about the, really the difference in price. And is it really worth, you know, going to another vendor like yourself to buy tickets? You know, what, what are we talking about as far as saving money? Can we do some comparisons, you know, ticket for ticket, buying from you versus buying from Disney? Certainly, I, I'm going to use our, our three-point scale, 
really. We're going to give you the gate price and then our, 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 the average competitor price and then our price. I'm going to talk about, obviously, some of our benefits. And first, I'll start with something basic, you know, the four-day Magic Your Way Park Hopper. And at the gate with tax, you're looking at, that's going to be $257. And our average competitor price is $252. And our price is $246.88. Now, you're looking at savings about $10 there, which right there is, you know, basically the price of parking, you know, for one day, for you know, for your family. And then also, you know, you're looking at the headache of not having to wait in line, you know, to buy tickets and, you know, that piece of money you already have, everything's taken care of. And so, you know, like I said, you know, we have some great savings just there on that four-day ticket. Not to mention, we actually give you uh, a fifth-day free, so that four-day Magic Your Way Park Hopper ticket, they already saving $10 on ends up being a, f- a five-day Magic Your Way Park Hopping ticket. Huh. Okay. So it's actually even even greater savings on top of that, which is actually very cool, too. And does it... Um, I'm sorry. I was gonna say. Does no, go I was gonna say. Do the discounts range? You know, do you have to get, you know, a, a, a minimum kind of days, and and you know, do you need to have no expiration or or park hop in order to see uh, a savings? Or if I want to buy just you know a seven day Magic Away plain old base ticket, you know, are the same kind of discounts still available? They are. They they are available. Um, some of them obviously have greater discounts than others, and that's kind of what what browsing and looking at all of our different ticket options is kind of about. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the seven day ticket, for instance. That's kind of the nice thing is is you know you check out our website, you know, and just kind of browse and you know put things in the cart and and see kind of basically how everything works out. But the really nice thing is is you know is that we actually are able to activate all of our own tickets. And because of that, we actually have basically an unlimited supply of Disney tickets. And whatever configuration, basically, you want, you know, whether it be the seven-day base ticket or the seven-day, you know, Water Park Fun and More, or the seven-day premium ticket, or even a 10-day premium ticket, we have that available at any time. And so we can provide basically any ticket you want at any time with basically, you know, different various savings, depending on, obviously, on the, on the ticket type. All right. I, I had done a little kind of comparison shopping, too, when I when I first was going through this. And I had done, um, I had taken out just a couple of numbers just, just for illustrative purposes. So, for example, a, a seven-day Magic Your Way base ticket, the gate price is two thirty three twenty four. dollars uh, Your price is two fourteen oh four. So you're looking at, at a little bit over $19 of savings there. But you do something like a water park, uh, a four-day park hopper, water park fun and more, no expiration, whole nine yards. Disney charges three seventy four ninety. dollars you're down to three thirty-two fourteen. Now you're looking at a savings of almost forty-three dollars per person. You start talking about families of four or five. You're talking about a lot more than just saving money on parking. You're talking that's a lot of churros right there. Exactly. You know, and, and that's you know some of the real benefits. You know, especially when you're buying for a family. You know, every every dollar counts. You know, and obviously, you know, a lot of people much rather spend you know that money on churros or you know a princess breakfast or. You know, whatever really your heart and mind can imagine, you know, when you're at Disney World. And that's what we basically empower you to do. And that's what, you know, our partnership with Disney allows us to, to help you basically do. Right. The other thing, too, you know, and, and I think I take a lot of this for granted sometimes, is not everybody who goes to Disney World has been there, you know, a hundred times and knows what the Magic Your Way, Water Park Fun and More, No Expiration, all these different <laughs> options really means. So if somebody calls up, you know, do the people who are at the call center, um, 
you know, do they just take orders? Or if this somebody says, look, I, I don't know what I need. I'm, this is what I'm doing. It's my, it's a family of four. We're doing this. Uh, will you guys kind of help them through the process a little bit? Other than just trying to say, you need a 14 day, no expiration park hopper, you know, and try and, you know, just get them the, 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 the biggest well, ticket possible. Well, no, it, it's, it's, it's quite comical sometimes, you know, and, and it's something, you know, we, we joke about it, obviously, and all good natured, you know, but people call in and say, I, I want to go to Disney. The first question any one of our customer service reps is going to ask, like, well, well, great, you know, that's awesome, you know, we're excited for you. And, you know, how many days are you looking at staying? And people say, well, I was thinking about going, you know, we're going to be there seven days. And, you know, then the customer service rep- representative would respond, well, awesome, you know, if, you know, seven days, you know, are you thinking about going to the parks all seven of those days? Customer responds, yes, I think so. Or then our customer service representative, well, you know, which parks were you interested in visiting? And basically, you know, through, you know, obviously, you know, asking questions and, and really kind of finding out basically what our customer and what our guest wants and needs, we help determine the obvious, the appropriate ticket. You know, none of our, our customer service rep- representatives don't earn commission. And so, you know, they're not extremely pushy. Um, they're very nice, and, and they're all very knowledgeable about the products that, that we sell and have. And, and we all just want to basically make sure that you have a great time. You know, we all get very excited about Disney, and, and we all love Disney here. And so, you know, we're, we're going to help you find basically the best ticket for you and your family, the, thing, the ticket that's most appropriate. All right. and, and I'll admit that when I went to go and visit the center uh, a while back, that's the one kind of feeling that I got when I was there talking to people was, that the people you have working for you, you know, they get it. I say either you get it or you don't, and they clearly get it. Um, they're not just there selling tickets. They understand the product, obviously. They understand Walt Disney World, um, and like I said, they're excited about it, and you kind of get that same Disney feeling. You're not talking to just, you know, somebody who's working at the drive through selling you a hamburger. They really care about what they're doing, and they enjoy it. So, believe it or not, that kind of level of customer service is something that I look for personally and I know is important to a lot of people especially again when you're talking about going to Disney World because that's the kind of level of expectation they have right we really pride ourselves in that in the fact that you know a lot of us have worked at Disney and actually some some of our customer service representatives actually still work for Disney part-time you know in in various capacities and and because that you know we're all very vested in the product that we sell you you know and the last thing you know I just want Sorry, the last thing I want is for people, you know, to to not have a great time. And so, you know, we all want we all want our guests and our customers obviously to have a terrific time, you know, because we love the product and also, you know, we love our company and we want to, you know, make sure that people come back and and visit us again. Eric, the one thing I was thinking too was, do you guys just call Disney up and place an order and say, listen, we need X amount of tickets and, and you buy them in bulk, or do they really have a hand in? maybe working with you or training your reps or anything else that's maybe more of an extended relationship other than just you buying tickets from Disney in bulk? Well, we actually have a very intimate relationship with with Disney, and this goes into kind of our special relationship, is, you know, they actually send people over here to our facility all the time to train and to coach all our representatives. You know, whenever there's a ticket change or a price increase, they come over and make sure that, you know, we're all brought up to date and up to speed on the new policies and procedures. You know, they also provide us, you know, with information and collateral to our, our representatives, you know, so that we can make sure that, you know, we're, we're providing the absolute best uh, customer service that we possibly can, you know, and and it all has to do with you know our, the fact that we have direct contracts with Disney, and and it's almost like you know we're an extension of Disney. You know, we are a third-party company, but you know, you know that we work very closely with their sales and their marketing department, and we also 
the other day, they actually came into our office and they brought us Rice, Rice Krispie, you know, Mickey Mouse ears, for instance, you know, for Halloween. And, you know, and so, you know, we get to see them all the time. They're in and out of here. And, and we actually uh, get, get to be privy to a lot of different um, events and whatnot that Disney throws. And, and it's, a, it's a lot of fun. And, and so it's almost like still working for Disney, but, but not, you know, in, in kind of a, a quieter atmosphere. Right. So, you know, I, where you don't have to hear. Hear the, hear the background music all day. Because <laughs> one of the things I was thinking was, you know, uh, is, is what you guys do, does Disney look at you guys as, you know, you know, don't talk about the, dis- the discount people or, you know, competitors or things like that, or, or they kind of embrace what you guys do? Well, Disney actually really embraces us. You know, we have a great relationship with them. We're part of their 2008 sales and marketing plan. And one thing is, is, you know, we help them sell tickets. You know, and we help them meet their goals. And so because of that, you know, we are a really strong partner with them. And we have a really great relationship. All right. And the other thing I should mention, too, that, that I didn't realize initially is that you can also get tickets for things like Cirque du Soleil and water parks. And, and dare I say, if you want to go <laughs> off property, I know it hurts me to say that. But, you know, there, <laughs> I, you know, there are places like Universal Studios and SeaWorld and... You know, Blue Man Group is, is actually a show I love, and I know Blue Man is, is over at Universal. You guys have all these things as well. We do, actually. Um, you know, we, we do pride ourselves in being able to provide, you know, tickets to these other Central Florida attractions, too, you know. Um, you know, but, but that is one of the great things, is that we kind of are a one-stop shop for for your, your vacation here in Central Florida, whether it be all Disney, you know, or whether it be, you know, a mixture of some of the Disney and non-Disney products. You know, we can provide access basically to all that and also at terrific prices too you know and like I said you know if you ever have a question or or a need or you know or just even want basic information our customer service representatives are all very friendly and pretty much answer or find the answer to any question you know you might have uh, regarding you know the Central Florida attractions you know when I was thinking when I was talking about I just one thing that crossed my mind was what about tickets to something like Pleasure Island um, you know, say I don't want to get the water park fun and more option, but I just want a couple of nights at Pleasure Island. Do you guys have those as well? Yeah, we do. We have uh, Pleasure Island tickets all by themselves. Um, very popular with, obviously, the, the adult crowd <laughs> um, <laughs> for obvious reasons. But, you know, Pleasure Island, it, it's a lot of fun, and it's a great um, great standalone attraction. You know, if, if you're coming down and you're either going to be just all on business or you know, or you decide you're not going to visit the parks for whatever sad reason, you know, we can provide you access, you know, and also at a great price, um, you know, just give you an idea. At the gate, Pleasure Island um, is twenty twenty one ninety five, and our price is sixteen eighty five, And that gets you into all eight clubs, you know, everything from uh, motions to the comedy warehouse. And so, you know, you have a great night of fun ahead of you and also, you know, have a little bit of extra money to spend on some drinks. I was like, that, that, that five dollars is an extra congaloosh right there. So. Exactly. <laughs> Again, drinking it only for research purposes, not not for anything else. But um, Precisely. <laughs> but Eric, you know, if um, I think, like I said, I think you were able to answer a, a lot of my questions. And I tried to kind of ask questions I thought would be representative of what other people might be thinking. If people still have more questions or if they want to find out more, what are the best ways to go about contacting you? Well, I believe you have a link on your site directly to us on in, in your show notes, I believe, and yes, also I'll on your this site. Week. 
So if, if you know you don't have a pen with you or you're, you're jogging with your iPod right now, uh, you can just go to the you know WDW Radio and click over to us, or you can uh, come to OrlandoFunTickets.com directly, or you can give us a call at 866-225-4712, and any one of our, our friendly customer service representatives will be more than happy to answer any of your, your Disney-related or Central Florida-related questions, and just, you know... All you need to do is just also let us know that, that you heard about it on WDW Radio. You know, we want to know that you guys are listening and you guys are out there and, you know, and so that maybe we can come up with some great fun deals for your listeners here in the future. All right. I, I forgot one more question that I wanted to ask you. Um, oh, certainly. We, we were talking about uh, listeners and stuff like that. I, I we, You know, we have listeners, obviously, and a lot of visitors come from overseas. Is Are people who, who are overseas visitors or and maybe if they're not even staying um on property, they're staying, you know, in a, in a vacation home or a villa, something like that. Are they able to get tickets through you as well, or is it domestic only? Well, um, we do sell tickets to international travelers all the time. We uh, we definitely love our, our British our British uh, tourist friends. They're always very very polite on the phone. And uh, but one thing is, we do not ship internationally, unfortunately. But how we can accommodate is, we, you can either pick up the tickets here in our office. If you're staying in a resort hotel that we deliver to, we can deliver to that hotel. But if you're staying in a vacation home, if you have that address of the vacation home, we can ship there if there will be enough time. But most likely, you know, your best option would be to just pick it up in our center, and that's free. You know, so you save even more money when you come and pick it up. Great. All right, Eric Davis from OrlandoFunTickets.com. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks for answering uh, all my questions. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Lou, and I, I look forward to talking to you again in the future sometime, and, and definitely you know, look forward to seeing you down here at Disney World for uh, Mouse, Mouse Fest. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. All right. You take care, Lou. You too. This week's show is running long, again, but I do want to answer a couple of your emails. Let's go quickly to the first one. It says, Hi Lou, love the show. I know you talked about the Harmony Barbershop before, but I don't remember if you said anything about making appointments. My family and I are going to Walt Disney World during Mouse Fest, and would like to get my two-year-old son's haircut there. Do you need an appointment? And if so, how far out should I schedule? Thanks again for your great work and what you do for the show. And that comes from Tara Landis, who's Pluto Pal on the forums. Tara, you do not and cannot actually make reservations for the Harmony Barbershop. You can just walk up, though. Usually, there is not that long of a wait, especially maybe if you go first thing in the morning or later on in the day, maybe during one of the parades. You shouldn't have any problems getting in. Second email says, Hey, Lou, Christine P. here. My mom forwarded me your newsletter, which has wonderful information. My question is that we're headed from Disney from October 26th through November 2nd. We already purchased our tickets for Mickey's Halloween event for October 31st. My son's teacher told me that there's a little behind-the-scenes tour where a person over nine can go for a good part of the day and see the inner workings of Disney. Is this true? And any information you could provide would be great. Christine, thank you for the email, and congratulations on being able to go on, obviously, the best of the Halloween days, which is exactly Halloween. Uh, as far as the tours, most tours behind the scenes are for guests over 16 years of age, but you can take the Family Magic Tour. And what I'll do is I'll put a link up in the show notes to the Disney website where you can find out more about it. 
It is a lot of fun. I've gotten a lot of great feedback from people that have taken it with some of their younger kids. You also mentioned the newsletter. I'll mention it quickly here that you can uh, go over to DisneyWorldTrivia.com and sign up for our free monthly newsletter that includes articles, news, rumors, trivia, vacation planning, and so much more. You'll find a link on the homepage, like I said, over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. Next email says, Hey Lou, this is Sean, who's Big Bro 501 from the forums and longtime listener of all the podcasts you've been involved in doing. I wanted to come on, on Epcot show number 33 and how you and Jeff were talking about the kids station. Call me a grown-up kid, but I had a ball last year with the passport that you can buy before you enter World Showcase. I think it was around $10. And the kids stations at all the pavilions will stamp and sign your passport with a greeting. It has stamps with pictures of each pavilion, and it's one of the best souvenirs I've ever gotten from Disney, and it didn't cost a lot. I know that I'm not the only grown-up kid that would have fun with this. Cheap but fabulous souvenir. Keep up the great show, Sean. Sean, I agree with you 100%. I think that is a great, uh, fun souvenir, and it gives you, even as, as an adult, and a way to kind of go around and meet and interact with the cast members. It's a great way to start talking to people who are obviously from the countries that they're working at. So, um, great idea and great souvenir. Next email says, Hey Lou, I'll be going to Disney World for the first time ever, but I found out I'll be going during Pop Warner Week. Is this going to affect my trip in any way, like crowds or lots of wild kids running running loose? I'm so excited, as I've only been to Disneyland because we live in California. I'm also debating going to Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party, but I'm not sure. What do you think? Our trip is from December 5th through the 11th. Well, as far as your first question about going during Pop Warner Week, you're really only likely to see the effect in any sort of visible way in some of the all-star and pop century resorts because that's where most of the people stay for pop warner and the cheerleading uh, events that are going place you're not really going to find much of an impact at all on the crowds in the parks Uh, and i have yet to see kids running around the parks like crazy or anything like that so i wouldn't worry in that regard however you might find especially if you stay at those resorts um, you know a lot more activity and maybe some noise in and around the pool areas and the food courts etc Uh, As far as Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party is concerned, I'm a big, big fan of the event. And uh, you're actually going at a great time because, like I said, it is Mouse Fest. If you'd like to join us, the Mouse Fest people are going to be attending on Thursday, December 6th. We're going to meet up at the Magic Kingdom Rose Garden. You don't need to register or anything like that. If you want to attend, just come by and join us. Uh, It's a lot of fun. And again, I highly, highly recommend going to the party if you can. Last question says, Lou, you previously mentioned in our show that about the Kiss Goodnight at the Magic Kingdom... Do any of the parks do something special at opening time? This is going to be my kid's third trip to Walt Disney World. I think they'd really enjoy an opening as much as the fireworks at the end of the night. And that comes from Jim in Williamstown, New Jersey. Jim, first, let's talk about the Kiss Goodnight over at the Magic Kingdom. After it's closed for the night, uh, Main Street USA stays open for about a half hour to an hour before they really start kind of slowly encouraging people to get out of the park. But if you stay long enough... There is this music and light show that takes place on Cinderella Castle that's beautiful, and it's called the guests. It's called giving the guests basically their kiss goodnight. As far as things that go on uh, at the parks in opening time, yes, all the four parks have opening events. There is a uh, kind of an an opening ceremony every day. They also select it, like for example, Jeff Pepper was selected at Epcot, a family of the day. So if you get there early and if you're chosen, all the characters come out. You get to ride in a test track car. They do similar things at the other parks as well. 
Uh, that's one of the reasons why, especially if you go with kids, try and get there early, try and get up front, really look excited about what's going on. And who knows, you might just be selected as the family of the day. So thank you very much for your emails. I know I have a lot more to get to, but please keep them coming. You can email me at lou at wdwradio.com. You can also call in your questions or comments or anything you want to do, say from the parks. If you call 206-202-4WDW, that's 206-202-4939. Thank you again for tuning in this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. My thanks also to Jeff Pepper, Eric Hollister, Jonathan Dichter, and Eric Davis for their help with this week's show. And of course, to you for listening. On our show notes page at wdwradio.com, you can also find more information and links about the topics that we covered, as well as links to previous episodes of the show. Don't forget that if you're planning to your next trip to Walt Disney World or are coming down to join us for MouseFest, the Magic for Less Travel is our recommended travel provider. Their superior service and commitment to personal attention, as well as their special packages and daily discount checking service, afford you the best possible experience. To find out more or for a free no-obligation quote, visit our show notes page for a link over to the Magic for Less. On future shows, I have more vacation planning tips and advice, as well as more of the best of the bests, hidden treasures, DSIs, special guests, and of course, I always have a few surprises in store, so be sure and stay tuned. As always, please keep emailing the show to lou at wdwradio.com, calling in your voicemails to 206-202-4WDW. You can also join us all week long at our fun and very friendly forums at disneyworldtrivia.com for discussions about the show and all things Disney. And of course, if you like the show, please help spread the word and let others know about it. Thank you again to my guests and thanks to you for tuning in again this week. So until next week, I'll see ya. Hi, Lou. This is Caleb from Columbus, Indiana, and uh, here at the Orlando Airport. Uh, just had a nice five-day stay at Walt Disney World at the Beach Club, and uh, just want to say thanks a lot for your insight into the American adventure. Uh, this was my 11th trip, and I have to admit that this was the first time uh, having seen that based on your suggestion. Just never ventured back there, and my wife and I both really enjoyed it, and uh, definitely had a chance to see the Voices of Liberty thing as well, and uh, that was really neat too. So, uh, anyway, appreciate it, and I uh, love the show. Thanks. Bye. Last year, the window to the Magic Podcast brought you an unprecedented event, a show unlike any heard before. Thrills, chills, and an adventure beyond your imagination made the secrets of the wooden door an instant classic. Now, as the Halloween season approaches, one might expect this year's show to be twice as good. Well, you'd be dead wrong. Halloween Night 2007, the window to the Magic Podcast will bring you not one, not two, but three separate stories, each designed to get you into the spirit of the holiday. Prepare yourself to go on a spook hunt with the world-famous Ghostbusters. Then, 
learn all about the tragic and deadly past of the one and only haunted mansion. And finally, gather everyone close, because the last story is so intense, no one should listen to it by themselves. Ghosts, ghouls, and goblins, all coming your way this Halloween from the window to the magic. Lights out, everyone.